Gua sobrok. Ai. <laughs> There's not a rule that you have to use the three subs. He's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Hello everyone, we're back for another episode of the Third Sub Podcast, episode 164 of the show, and we're back after a bit of a bye week for the Vancouver Whitecaps, of course, no playing uh, this weekend for them in MLS place, you got a bit of a respite from that, but busy weekend as always, I mean, if you watch MLS, lots of great games, if you watch CPL, some more entertainment there, um, you know, MLS Next Pro, they, they played. They played at home. The Whitecaps, too, did. So, certainly, if you, you wanted your Whitecaps fix, it was still uh, it was still there. And I guess most importantly, uh, for, you know, from the Whitecaps, at least the big news that we have leading off uh, the, the everything is that there was a trade. Not often that we've had that to talk about so far this year. Of course, the Whitecaps roster relatively set, but primary MLS primary transfer window this Monday some wheeling and dealing across MLS, some interesting deals, but the Whitecaps getting involved in that. But before we dive into all of that great news and great discussion, great chatter, I'm your co-host, Alexander Gagiruzic, joined as always by Sam Iran. And I guess, Sam, how's it going? Back in the UK, you, you, you came just in time for uh, for, for the end of this uh, English title race, didn't you? Exactly. Yeah, but I've returned to enjoy... Uh, what's what's turning out to be a very interesting not only the title race but the relegation battle as well in the Premier League lots of excitement there but uh, some excitement in Whitecaps land as well as you mentioned Christian Dahomey on the way to DC United and uh, yeah we haven't seen really over the last calendar year Alex or, or certainly over the last six to eight months there hasn't been a whole heck of a lot in terms of Vancouver Whitecaps roster movement. So this is a a notable event and uh, has a number of interesting implications, I think, which we are going to dive into on this show. We'll also tee up Colorado Rapids just a little bit. We're back with MLS action. So uh, Colorado is an interesting team, uh, similar to the Whitecaps in some ways, different to the Whitecaps in some ways. So we'll get into that. As you mentioned, then in the back half of the show, MLS Next Pro uh, the boys are lighting it up, scoring goals at the next pro level. There were also a number of first team players, first team contributors who went down there and put in some work. And then, yeah, we'll dive through a little bit of, you know, what happened in the CPL Vancouver FC earning their first three points, which is, you know, uh, nothing to scoff at. And then also league one BC starting up this weekend after, the massive result from TSS Rovers. I think there's uh, been a nice little groundswell of excitement and support for the the start of the League One season. So we'll uh, we'll tee that up on the back end as well. But uh, as always, Alex, just uh, really looking forward to getting into it. Love to to see it. Lots of lots to talk about, even in a bye week for uh, for the Whitecaps. And yeah, certainly you're going to be busy. I think is if you're in BC and you like soccer, you're going to be busy. I'm just thinking of my next weekend. Even the next few weekends, I'm like looking at my calendar. I'm like, there's a Whitecaps game this weekend. There's a home Rovers game this weekend. There's a Whitecaps League One BC game this weekend. 
there's a Pacific game. It's like, I want to kind of want to hit all of them, but then I have obligations and I'm like, how's it going to work with the working and timing and all that? And then you look at the next weekend, Vancouver FC's home opener, more league one BC. Oh, it's just, it's, it's, it's everything. It's, it's, it's bad. Cause it's like, I want to go see it all. Like, can you guys spread it out, please? I'm not sitting here thinking, picking between game X and game Z. I'm like, I want to go to both, but jokes aside, I think uh, if you love the soccer around here, it's a lot to talk about before we get to the, grassroots side of the game maybe i guess starting with the white caps christian dahomey's traded i think that was kind of some big news for for the white caps on monday when that came out uh tom bogert uh the always reliable tom bogert one of the first scoops for his new job because he obviously moved over to the athletic um he ends up breaking the the christian dahomey news that soon ends up being official um i mean sam the specs of the trade uh, you know it ends up being a an amount of jam off the start uh, and then of course uh you know some some incentives and then i think also the the big numbers of the deal uh end up being the salary so the white caps end up eating a lot of the salary now and then it, it's going to come off the books later so the final number is 550,000 uh in in jam and could could receive up uh you know up to 200,000 in in jam so it's 350 off the base and then t- up to 200 if incentives are meet are met and then of course the contracts i mean before we dive into what this move means for the white caps so first off i mean what are your thoughts on the trade itself well as always alex these trades within mls they they make them as hard to comprehend and contextualize as possible with the you know, GAM moving versus roster compensation and how it all really stacks up in the the salary cap ledger and the actual dollars and cents cash ledger. Uh, really difficult to keep a track of. So, I mean, I think the big thing, right, is that Vancouver Whitecaps fans, the, the concern was maybe twofold, right? I mean, one, it's kind of Dahomey is just not being used properly in Vancouver. And so, you know, for his own personal development, I think, I think there were a lot of people in Vancouver that just sort of felt bad. Like he, he needed a fresh start. He needed a change of pace, but then there was also uh, understandably the uh, salary concern that they signed him to this big long-term deal, you know, at least by MLS standards and that he wasn't a key part of the team anymore. And that having that kind of, uh, cap space, that kind of um, you know roster allocation committed to someone who clearly was not part of your plan going forward was a concern. So um, they're not able to completely wipe that this season, but uh, keeping him on the squad wouldn't have fixed that anyway. So uh, I don't think that's a bad move in the sense that they they make room for one of their younger players to to get some more playing time without having to worry about you know keeping Dahomey's minutes up. And then next season they've got much more flexibility when his his salary is actually going to come off the book so uh yeah i think you know shrewd move from the white caps now but obviously we can we can discuss you know whether um it's it's not necessarily like a stroke of genius on the club's part it's more a a fix for a problem they created yeah i think it's uh ultimately I think it's a good move for Dahomey. I think first and foremost, I think he's he's a good player. I think he's someone where you you look at you know the, how things ended in Vancouver. You forget just how good he 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 was really through under Mark DeSantos. He was probably Mark DeSantos's most 
and consistent and arguably almost best player um, across his tenure just because he was so solid on the wing, gave goals, gave assists, stepped up as the penalty taker, which, hey, it sounds simple to say, but there's a time where the Whitecaps, once Freddie Montero left, they didn't know who was taking their penalties and, uh, you know, little things like that. You know, and I think just having that consistency was huge and it kind of helped the Whitecaps transition into this era where they are as a team now where they're very much in their prime and they've got a good group. Dahomey was kind of a key stabilizer because, you know, the, the Whitecaps 2018, 2019, 2020 team, there was a lot of, you know, instability um, there. So I think first and foremost, it's a, it's a good move for uh, for 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 Dahomey. I think he'll get a fresh start. He can play in a system that suits him. He can go, uh, you know, get back to his scoring ways in particular. It feels like, a, you know, at the Whitecaps, just the way they play, he wasn't getting those opportunities to to score. As for the Whitecaps, it's an okay move in the sense that they got out of the deal. We can mention, though, there is a bit of a precedent being set here, and it's not necessarily the greatest one in the sense that they are making a lot of shrewd moves. But as we've seen, sometimes the secondary moves they make after those shrewd moves aren't always the greatest. I, I think a few examples of that is you do a great job of bringing Brian White for cheap, and then you re-sign him to a huge deal, and now you're looking like, oh my goodness, he could be making a lot of money, and that's a potential albatross. And ditto with Christian Dahomey, where you end up re-signing him to a deal, despite him not necessarily fitting into your system, and all of a sudden now you're stuck with a potential albatross of a contract. Even if you look at potential impending situations, how... Again, they make the shrewd signing of Matias Laborda. We haven't really seen his natural position. That's a whole other story. Another one, you bring in Julian Gressel, who's been excellent. There's no not much money left. On, uh, there's, his deal's up at the end of this year. All of a sudden, if he walks, uh, right, that could be a potential uh, issue. And I think that's the key thing that, you know, you learn in Moneyball, for example. I, I just, you know, it's one of my favorite books. The Oakland A's, part of their success wasn't just them making all these shrewd signings. They were always making these shrewd signings. Also, the part of being a good Moneyball team is knowing when to sell high and knowing when to make a new, you know, trade a new, uh, trade someone, re-sign someone. And, you know, for the most part, the Whitecaps have done a great job of uh, bringing in some of these guys. But now the the homemade trade and some of these other situations show that when it comes to the next move, sometimes that's, uh, maybe that's the next step that the Whitecaps have to, to work on, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, absolutely, Alex. I think I'll add two or three more to that list, right? Um, uh, the first guy that comes to mind is Kyle Alexandre. Great addition in terms of you know talent identification and um, you know using the roster spots like the the U twenty two initiative available to you, but then not playing him obviously struggled with injury as well. But then there was some degree of falling out with the organization, and then you have to go bring in an Alessandro shop to fill in a midfield spot and pay him because you don't have Kyle Alexandre anymore. Right. And then another one I look at is Christian Gutierrez, where again, it's a falling out between the club and the player and the white caps are still, I believe on the books for his contract this season, or, or at least a large part of it, even though he's been traded to, to TFC. So again, it's that secondary move, right? Goody, young Canadian domestic at a position where we've talked about this before on the show, you try to 
um, you know, get that kind of surplus value competitive advantage where, you know, you don't need a DP at fullback. You can get away with someone who's domestic on a, on a good contract. And, and now you've got Luis Martins taking up an international spot who you bought high on after four games as a free agent, right? You see this consistent pattern. Um, obviously Brian White and Dahomey were the two most prime examples, but I think you look elsewhere on the roster guys that really aren't in the roster at the moment and uh, ask similar questions. I would even, you know, I, in a slightly different circumstance, lump Pedro Vite in here as well, where the the acquisition was tremendous, but now you're not playing him and you're not maximizing his potential sell-on value, right? Like you're not you're not giving him the best opportunity to exhibit his talents. So I think, you know, under Nico's overhaul and Axel Schuster and now Axel Schuster and uh, the scouting staff that remains, it seems like they're doing a pretty nice job identifying players. Uh, now the question is, you know, how do they actually perform within the squad? And then how is that performance managed in terms of, you know, how they fit into the long-term plans of the team? I think, Alex, a big, big test going forward of all those examples we just talked about is Sergio Cordova. What are they able to do there, right? Mm. Because you're going to have to see what the bottom line is offensively. If he comes in the back end of the season and bags 10 goals, uh, do you sign him to, you know, a big, long, high price contract or, uh, you know, how do you handle that situation? You're already quite financially committed to the player. So uh, going to be interesting to see how they handle it. And uh, Caleb Wilkins in, in the article he wrote on Dahomey on the third sub said it very well in the sense that, you know, this is particularly important because this team's window, at least with this core group of players to win is now or the next two years following this season, right? Julian Gressel, Ryan Gold, Yoi Takoka, Andres Kubas, Alessandro Schopp, these guys are all in the prime of their careers. And so now is the time to strike and and roster inefficiencies uh, don't allow you to make it to the top step, right? When you're going up against a team like LAFC, you can't have a Kyle Alessandre away on loan. You can't get rid of a Christian Gutierrez. You can't not play Pedro Vite. You can't be paying Christian Dahomey too much money. So um, there's certainly work to do there, but uh, ultimately it's it's great that Dahomey, like I hope Dahomey can go and be exactly what he should be in MLS, which is probably like a five to eight goal, five to eight assist guy that starts some matches, comes off the bench in some matches, provides energy, takes on players 1v1, uh, he's absolutely a very useful MLS piece, even going on 30 years of age. He just needed the right situation. And uh, the Whitecaps just should have anticipated sooner that this was going to be an impasse and that, you know, maybe maybe Vanny Sartini sold Axel Schuster a bit too much on the Dahomey at wingback experiment, but that that seems like a moment where maybe they could have seen the writing on the wall here. Yeah, and I think it's it is a genuine question to be had now because again, I think it's something where the Whitecaps are going to be quite good this year. I think it's early enough in the season we've seen enough to think that you know as long as they keep this up, they should be quite good. And, and we can we've outlined the reasons why, and even you look at the standings, you look at how things have gone, but then you look long term, and yeah, I hundred percent agree. I think there's questions to be asked again, just the foresight. It's interesting we bring up some of these situations. Gutierrez, 
you end up moving him on now you waive him why if like if you brought him back this off season what was stopping you from waving him in the off season so at least you just get it out the way earlier even if you still eat the budget or you know trading him or something like that the is another example because he reset his contract when he first came to white caps was 2020 and 2021 plus 22 as an option it was a two plus one so they re-signed his deal last year in the middle of 2022 uh, as a, you know, to, to extend him. You end up trading him less than a year later. What was stopping you from just moving on then? Cause yeah, as an expiring deal, he would have had some value, I think, in MLS as a, as a trade ship. Because it wasn't like last year he was a huge uh, part of what Vanny Sartini was doing. Like it was in 2021 where he was really excellent. Last year, he, he could kind of tell he'd fallen out of that system so it's like what's stopping you from making that that move then and but instead you re-sign him in less than a year long on you're moving him and then there's a few other examples heck brian white great example scores all these goals in 2021 last year you signed him to this new deal lucas cavallini leaves you have a chance to make brian white the guy certainly you're paying him to be the guy you bring in sergio cordova on a dp contract what was stopping you from bringing back Lucas Cavallini on a TAM contract? Of course, that wouldn't have, might not have been the most popular option, but you know, at least there, those two show that they can compete with each other. Whereas by bringing in Cordova, you're sending a, a clear message that Cordova, he's the DP, he should be paid as the number one guy. Brian White's been excellent this year. So that, of course, changes things. And Cordova has been injured, but it's something where it's like, was the plan for Brian White to be making 500 to a million? as Cordova's backup. And again, that's little questions where you wonder like, okay, actually maybe there's some, some signs we didn't maybe necessarily pick up on. And then after seeing this Dahomey movie, you're like, Oh shoot. Okay. There there are some things where you're like, where was the planning with these moves? Uh, Yeah. I'll just add in terms of that. I was going to say, you know, why did you resign Christian Dahomey when you were willing to walk away from Lucas Cavallini at the end of the year? So I'm glad that you brought both those guys up. Uh, and then, I mean, I think with Cava, the thing was, it sounds like from the player's perspective, he was unwilling to accept a wage that would have put him on a TAM deal. And then when it became clear that that was the situation, it was just like, okay, well, we're going to move on because we refused to bring you back as a DP. Um, but obviously, if he would have come back as a TAM player, or I think the, you know, I, I can hear Caleb Wilkins in my head saying, you know, well, you got to find Lucas Cavallini before he blows up that's the striker you want to bring in right you <laughs> you want to bring in someone at the you know 23 24 undervalued at the right point in that progression not uh not someone who you're going to pay you know three million for and and sign to a lucrative tam contract to to potentially be sergio cordova's backup right like that's not um that's not the way that prudent mls teams are are doing it at the moment so Certainly not when you've already got so much money committed in other areas. So, yeah, I think this is this is definitely one of these trades where in isolation, you're like, okay, good job, Whitecaps, getting it off the books for next season. Uh, good on them for finding a nice destination for a player who, you know, was a heart and soul guy, really well liked, it seemed like, throughout the organization and by his teammates. And so you want him to go have success elsewhere. That's important, too. And Axel Schuster's talked about the fact that he wants to uh, be known in as an organization that really takes care of players and, you know, has their best interest at heart. So that does, that sends a message, right? But um, at the same time, I think that the stuff we just talked about in terms of having the foresight in terms of 
contract extensions using the players on the roster, the, the balance of those contracts, there's, uh, there's still some moments where you scratch your head and wonder what exactly the plan was. And, and unfortunately no, no fault of Dahomey's, right? Like it's not his fault that they put a contract extension on the table and offered it to him. And of course he's going to take it, but uh, you know, this season I think became even more challenging for him because he had that uh, hanging over his head as well. Yeah, and I think it's just interesting now because the Whitecaps have some big decisions to make, uh, you know, in this this offseason, or not this offseason, but over the next few years. And it's now going to be interesting to see how they manage it. Like, again, Gressel, new deal. How do you proceed around that? It's an, it's genuine questions. You don't want them to walk for nothing, but also you don't want to end up in a situation where you and you end up, you know, again, not, not to say it will happen. It feels like Gressel... At least among some of these pieces, there's a lot more proven there, at least the MLS level. But again, you want basically all I want to say is you want to approach that deal right. You're gonna have to look some of these guys, like some of them that have been signed since 2020, 2021. Their deals are starting to run out. Like all of a sudden you could be looking at, you know, expiring deals for for some key players, safe to to say. It's just gonna be important that you navigate that the right way. But uh the home is gone. And I think ultimately it's a good move for both sides. Because Dahomey gets his fresh start for the Whitecaps. The nice thing is they didn't bring in a replacement. And I say that as a good thing because they don't need to. They got Diver Caicedo's back. Uh, you know, he suits this system way more. We've we've said that. So hopefully he can get up and running. If not at the Whitecaps 2 level, there just happens to be a bunch of players playing either as that second striker, number 10 striker role that could replace a Dahomey. Like a... Well, we could talk more about them in, in a bit, but, you know, a guy like Levante Johnson starting to score for fun. Antoine Kuplin looks absolutely electric every time I watch him. Cameron Habibula looks pretty darn good as well. Like, you're you're not sitting there like there's a lack of options. And, hey, you want to be the athletic Bilbao in Canada, you got some some options coming through. At least you could start getting some more uh, Canadians on the first team. So a bit of benefit for, for both sides in that regard uh, to, to close off my thoughts on this trade. Yeah, you were on the same wavelength, Alex, where I was just going to say we could transition to winners of this deal within the Whitecaps and those names you just listed, all the second striker stroke winger options that the Caps have. And I think Pedro Vite as well as number 10, because Dahomey mm-hmm. was kind of filling that spot. A lot of the four or five matches at the beginning of the season. Now there's one less player in the way of him doing that. So um, and then obviously uh, my thought for next season is that, you know, Coupland, Cam Habibula, Johnson, any of those guys are possible candidates. Um, you know, Axel Schuster also earlier today spoke about the value of having that international spot and how they're going to look to add more international players at the MLS next pro level. And then obviously you sort of keep in mind that, well, if one of those guys pops off, does really well and you want to sign them to a first team contract, and then you need the international spot to, to put them at the first team level. So, um, you know, just nice to have that in mind. And uh, yeah, Schuster seems to be really, I think buying the performance of the second team and, and seems really invested in how those guys are doing. So um, for me, that's kind of my hope is that, especially because of everything we just talked about uh, rather than going out and signing, you know, more high priced free agents or high priced, um, acquisitions, you can get a lot of those guys we just listed. They're not going to be on five, 800K 
a season. You're going to be able to get those at a reduced freight. I mean, that's part of what was great about, say, for example, someone like Ryan Raposo last season when he was contributing offensively is that, you know, okay, yeah, he was on the Generation Adidas contract and it's about 100K a year, but still relative to the rest of the roster, that's like not a bad, not a bad um target range and and pretty good value in comparison to what you'd have to pay some MLS vets. So uh, the more of these players, the more Simon Betchers and Ali Ahmeds that can be infused into the roster, uh, the less you have to take risks in terms of getting yourself into a Brian White, Sergio Cordova situation where the backup's making five, six, seven, eight hundred K, right? So I think the, that's the underlying part of this is that if you make, if the second team's better, and the first team's a little thinner in terms of those high value acquisitions, you're able to find that roster balance you're really looking for at the end of the day. And so maybe maybe part of the confusion or the the weird decisions here is a bit of a bridging the gap to to get that second team up to speed. That's not necessarily an excuse, but I think that's maybe the an idealistic vision of what's happening right now. Yeah, and I mean, I think again, there there should be no excuse to not be using that second team as a depth factory at the bare minimum. I think as well, you could almost say for year one, you don't know what things are looking like, but I think there's starting to become a growing pattern of evidence that players who do well at the MLS next pro level tend to do all right at the next, you know, MLS. Like there's a few names: Ali Ahmed, Simon Betcher. There's the White Caps alone. You look at the Columbus juggernaut from last year, Mo Farsi, and a. You know, Jason Russell Rowe, the Canadians, of course, we're familiar with, and a few others have stepped right in for Wilfred Nancy and have helped Columbus. Heck, Kyle Hebert, another Canadian example, because we're familiar, makes that jump up to St. Louis. Obviously, those were some all some good teams, but, you know, the Caps didn't even make the playoffs in MLS Next Pro last year, and they're still able to farm a few regulars up to, to the first team that can contribute and be options. And this year, they look very, very good. They're You know, they, they've got a lot of key uh, pieces so again you're looking at those names no reason why they can't make that step up but uh now be you know there's there's no excuse in that regard i i guess we could say especially as some of these guys expire like uh, you know of course you're still going to need your dps you're going to need some of your big money guys but when you're looking at guys i think again the luis martin signing last year like there was just no reason to be making that when a you could have got a guy for cheap in the cpl or at least if you want depth or if not, you know, you have Ali Ahmed sitting there, your second team at the time. And it wasn't as if Ali Ahmed came out of nowhere. We were sitting here last preseason being like, he should get a first team look in the season. And so it's like when they made that signing of Luis Martins in May, it was like, well, Ali Ahmed was right there, even though, you know, maybe you want to see a little more of him in MLS Next Pro. But now you can't, you don't have that, you know, you don't have that excuse. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, if those sorts of signings dwindle and then we can really start to see that that pipeline to... uh to the first team, but I don't know, Sam, unless you have anything else on the, the, the homemade trade and which ended up being a white caps to chat. We so excited to talk about white caps too. actually one point. Well, I was going to say is just that, you know, kind of a, a thank you to Christian Dahome for his time as a white mm-hmm. cap. Um, and just such a, such a, you know, doesn't, doesn't speak English really at all. So don't have that same interaction of getting to getting to chat with them that you might have with the English speaking players, but uh, just such like a joyful, cheerful guy on a day-to-day basis at training and on match days and a family guy too, you know, always had his wife wife and kids around the facility or around 
uh, BC place. And so, yeah, just left, but with nothing but kind of happy memories and a smile thinking of Dahomey's time as a white cap. So, you know, there's all the, there's all the roster construction stuff, but there's also kind of the, the personal part of it as well. So I just wanted to, yeah, give Daho a shout out and all, all the best of luck in DC. Yeah, I was going to say the Whitecaps dance per what per ninety minutes has gone down significantly, and that's always it's always a loss when you when you lose you know guys like that who bring the vibes, bring the energy, even if it's not playing. He was always dancing and you know just just bringing some of those those good vibes that hey, it's important for 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 teams to to have that. But as for the Whitecaps, saw Christian Dahomey. They, they now turn their attention to the Colorado Rapids this upcoming Saturday, um, April 29th at BC Place. 7.30 kick, as has been the customary uh, under Apple TV. As they said, <laughs> no more afternoon kickoffs for you folks. So, again, sh- shout out to, to some, you know, going to CPL and League One games again and getting those earlier kickoffs. It makes you, you make, makes you yearn for them uh, a bit more, but... Anyways, jokes aside, Whitecaps back Saturday night, BC place, Colorado Rapids. Mixed Colorado team. They're not quite the, the first place team that surprised everyone back in, uh, oh boy, I want to say 2021 now. It's been that long. Uh, but they're also, they don't look to be that tire fire, I guess, for lack of a better word, that they were last year, mainly with injuries and, and trades and whatnot. But what what to make of this Colorado Rapids team? What are the Whitecaps getting up against, Sam? Well, what do you th- what are you making of this, this Rapids team heading into this game? Yeah, it's a weird one, right? Because this is maybe like the least impressive team I've seen that's undefeated in their last five matches. Like it has been skin of their teeth, greasy stuff. They've they've only got one win, and it was against Sporting KC in those past five, who's the worst team in the West. Uh, so, you know, it's a, it's about as weak of a one win four draw run as you can get. Uh, and the, and the really curious thing, Alex is the, the XG stuff pops off right away. They only have six goals in MLS play, but they're sitting at 13.5 expected goals. So this is literally underperforming xg by more than 50 (laughs) percent so far on the season uh so that is just like i don't even know how to describe that that it has to be a combination of incredibly bad finishing and also really 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 bad luck uh so you know one of those is gonna turn around you think the luck will, will even out at some point but the bad finishing is is likely not to go away um and that's definitely a problem for this team so, you know, that's something they're going to have to deal with. And and in terms of roster construction, I think the one thing that's interesting is that uh, it's such a weird mix of there's a lot of kind of steely vets and then there's a lot of really young players. It's kind of one or the other for this Colorado team. And uh, I, I think that maybe shows a little bit in terms of, you know, a lot of the defensive players are more experienced and defensively they've been pretty solid so far. They they had a bit of a calamity on opening day against Seattle, losing 4-0 and really getting caved in. But since then, their defensive record's actually pretty decent, and they've settled into a nice back three. Lalas Abubakar, this is Andreas Maxo. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to say that correct. He's Danish, new to the league this season, and then Danny Wilson at the back. So um, those guys are all 28-plus with a ton of professional minutes. And since they've settled into that three at the back, it's been pretty decent. Uh, but then at the front end, you've got 
a lot of young attacking players who are just kind of slowly coming on. Um, and maybe this is the curse, Alex. You know, they've got Kevin Cabral on the team now, and he just seems Aww. to be an, an XG black hole. He's not even playing that much, but I feel like by association, he's maybe just dragged the team down a little bit. Uh, but but yes, yeah, so many young attacking players. So I think it's just, you know, you got a guy like Darren Yappy up front who's not even 19 yet. Uh, it's just a work in progress at that end of the pitch. So I could see this being a, a Rapids team that improves as the season goes on. But also if they struggle to find offensive consistency, you could wonder if that just becomes a uh, a habit and, and part of this team's identity going forward. So uh yeah, uh, I'm curious for your thoughts, Alex, just to maybe pick up on some of those points or things that have uh, stood out to you so far. Yeah, Rapids are an interesting outfit. I think first and foremost, they luckily have one of the best coaches in the league. And I guess it's, I mean, interesting to see what it would be like if Robin Fraser wasn't there, just because, I mean, we saw what he was able to get out of that group in 2021. Um, so they got, they're well coached. They're going to be organized. I think their latest run of results kind of reflects that, like what they can be is they, they can disrupt. They can be frustrating. The few games I've watched them this year, they, yeah, they're, they're, they can be stingy. You look at their spine too. They have a good spine. I think that also helps. Um, Like you got William Yarbrough in goal. I'm always solid, solid goalkeeper. I've always been impressed with him. Uh, You know, they also recently signed Marco Illich, if I'm not mistaken, he's an international playing in Liga, I want to say like he's decent little signing uh, from what I remember reading about him. Um, so they're, they're good in goal. Um, and then you, you, you look across the, the board at some of the other options are really set at center back. Um, you, you know, they got Lalas Abubakar. I've always been a big fan of uh, the way he plays. You mentioned Max. So it was a DP by the way, not off till we see DP center backs. He can join the, the club, which, uh, uh, off the top of my head includes him and, and teenage Hadebi at the very least. I don't know if there's any more after him, but uh, certainly the DP center back club uh, isn't a big one in MLS, um, you know, and a few, yeah, just some, some really, some solid uh, overall center backs, um, you know, Danny Wilson as well. Uh, you know, the former Rangers man, he's always very reliable. And then you go up the the middle, they got, you know, uh, Brian Acosta, MLS vet, someone who's been around, they lost Jack Price to the ACL injury, which was terrible to see because he missed so much time last year and they missed him dearly. Like he's been such a key piece and that really sucked to see him go down with that injury because he's you know such a crucial piece. Uh, but you look elsewhere, they got this new Brazilian midfielder, Max. Uh, you know They got Brian Galvan who torched the Whitecaps in, in 2021. So he's always someone to keep an eye on. Ralph Preso, former TFC man's also been getting some minutes doing relatively well. Really, the only hole I'm looking at their roster is just up front because uh, on their list, uh, on their roster, they have five forwards. And one's Michael Berrios, who, as we know, can run at guys, but end product has always been an issue since the Dallas days. You got Diego Rubio, who well, solid enough I, not a striker. I will but... say that Barrios has been hot the last couple matches. He's scored crucial goals in, in their last two draws. And so uh, enigmatic and a bit mercurial for sure. But uh, when he's scoring, it, it can be quite good. So well, Barrios will be a guy to watch, I think, in Vancouver because he's he's on a bit of a run of form at the moment. And yeah, Barrios is always dangerous. He's someone where when he's been at his best, he's pushed, he's pushed 10 goals, 10 assists in a season. But also there's games where you just watch him and it's just the end product doesn't always come off 
Diego Rubio, solid veteran number nine, but nothing to scoff at. Calvin Harris, the former Cincinnati draft pick, not the multimedia mogul that, that creates good music. It's, it's the soccer player, Calvin Harris. So not really an established pro. Darren Yappy, who I liked. Every time I've watched him, he's looked like a he could be a player, but he's yeah, he's just 19. A, you know, he's or not even a, he's super young, learning the games, the uh, you know, learning the the playing at the pro level. And you got Kevin, you know, XG God, but not finishing God, Kevin Cabral. So I think you look at that front line. That for me is the big, you know, weakness in the sense that you're relying on Rubio and Yappy to kind of lead your your be your number nines, and then Barrios and Cabral is as the wide players, they haven't even really seen Cabral that much. Whereas, yeah, you look at the defense. I even didn't even mention Keegan Rosenbury, such a solid piece. Abubakar Kida, like they've got good pieces at the back. Stephen Betashore, uh, a name the White Caps fans will recognize, isn't fully healthy, but again, another veteran piece. Uh, and you know, midfield as well, Jonathan Lewis, who I didn't mention, Cole Bassett, who's back from from Europe, like good pieces in the middle in the defense. But you look up front, you're like, you can see why they only have six goals from like. 12 plus XG this year. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned Jonathan Lewis because uh, he tore it up in the U.S. Open Cup match midweek against the Northern Colorado Hailstorm, I believe it was. It's just the all-time uh, team Beautiful. name. I love that. But Jonathan Lewis, to me, is like, he's a guy that when he's on his game can be like an absolute world beater and game breaker, but it just sort of depends on the match and and also, you know, just he, he doesn't end up starting a lot of matches. He's only got three starts this season, only played 270 minutes. But Lewis is a guy that when he's on his he's on his game can be, you know, borderline unstoppable. But it just again, it's like kind of Barrios-esque in the sense that the the consistency is not always there. And yeah, you just you run through those attacking names. There's not a lot of options you can rely on match in, match out for consistent finishing. And that's why. Again, I think a lot of it is bad luck. You're not underperforming XG by 50% just on bad bounces. Uh, but it's also, you know, it, it's some of both, right? And, and, you know, they got a young guy like Ralph Preso coming up in the system. Um, you mentioned Max already, uh, who's played a good amount, five starts. Looks so, so silky on the ball. I mean, very stereotypical Brazilian in that sense. But again, just don't know if the the end product, the adaptation to MLS as a 21-year-old is entirely there yet. So uh, another guy who's looked good is uh, Sam Nicholson in the midfield. Been really, really solid uh, so far and had a, a good last couple of matches, at least from what I saw. So I think there's a lot to like about this team. Obviously, I think anyone who's listened to podcasts for a long time knows that we're big fans of Robin Fraser as a manager, and uh, they're always going to be well-drilled, well-structured, well-coached. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, how much can they get out of the individual players? And yeah, shout out to William Yarbrough, who, you know, yeah, he's 34. So that's probably why they bring in another good goalkeeper because they know that at some point, you know, Yarbrough might move on, but he's already, I think, over 1.5 post-shot goals above expected on the season through eight matches. So, you know, uh, he he's been one of the, the upper tier goalkeepers in MLS for the last couple seasons. And uh, they, they really rely on that. Yeah. And shout out to Marco Illich, who I'm uh, just to confirm, because I mentioned he might've played in Liga. He didn't, I think before the Rapids were linked with the Liga and goalkeeper fell through. Then they brought Illich on loan. He 
came through Vojvodina in Slovenia. So I just wanted to clarify uh, on that one. Very solid. Slovenia has a long history of creating some decent goalkeepers, uh, as I know as a Slovenian myself, seeing the the likes of Handanovic and Oblak both competing for the same goals. Like, darn, one of you guys couldn't have been a world-class striker, had to be two world-class goalkeepers. So Ilic is, is one of the, the many... So you know he, he he comes from a country with a rich history of goalkeeping. So and, and most that. And, most recently, yeah. Bel- Belgian first division, right? I think is where he was playing pro football the last yeah three, three seasons. It looks like yeah he was playing for Court Quartrich in a Belgian club in the first division. Yeah, looking at his his Wikipedia page, it's a lot of interesting. Uh, Names to pronounce. You got Vojvodina, the, the, you know, and then you got Chemant Biochin, Proletar Novi Sad, and then Voz Dovak, uh, certainly. And then you, you go over to Korczyk. Uh, commentators nightmare having to mention uh, some of these some of these clubs you've played at in the in the past. But certainly at 25, he's on loan. Something where I think we're going to see a lot of him this year is they kind of want to get a look at what he, he's all about, if they should make the deal permanent. You know, Yarbrough again, yeah, 34. I mean, Colorado has a history with older goalkeepers. Shout out Tim Howard, but I'm sure that they'd want to get a, a bit younger at that position uh, long term. But yeah, I think overall, just looking at this Rapids roster, I think it's it's very typical Rapids. It's They're going to be very solid, try to be very solid defensively. Um, they're going to try to just be solid in midfield. And then from there, we'll see what they can get in, in the attack. Uh, they'll, they'll have speed. The Whitecaps will have to be wary of Barrios, he'll probably start if Cabral starts. That's a lot of speed, even if not the end product. Uh, it's just, you know, they haven't necessarily been able to finish. And overall, that's why they sit where they are in the standings, where they haven't been terrible defensively. I think they've only conceded 11 goals, which uh, isn't, that's not, that's not terrible for, I guess, nine games, considering they got trounced in their opener by by good Seattle team on the road. It's just, Really, goals is what's held them back. And for the Whitecaps, you, you don't want them to discover those goals against your team. And Whitecaps have been in great defensive form. So maybe a bit of a match made in heaven on that front. So it's just really the big battle is going to be, can the Whitecaps get get some stuff going through the middle, get, break through that solid defensive line, get some goals of their own? Yeah, absolutely. Hearing from Vanny Sartini earlier today, his impressions on the matchup was sort of, He's confident that they're going to be able to create chances because this Whitecaps team has done a good job of that so far this season. Something that Vanny pointed out is, you know, Colorado, because they're struggling to finish and just because of the nature of their squad and and their system, that when they really create good, high quality scoring chances, it evolves pushing those wide midfielders really far forward, kind of like three at the back Whitecaps teams we saw last season where you push everyone forward. You've got those three center backs isolated and no matter how good they are defensively, eventually you concede when you put those guys on an Island. So I think Vanny's looking to, you know, to, to break down in Colorado in those moments where they commit men forward. And then also just to control the match and spend as much time um, you know, really dictating tempo to Colorado as they can, you know, don't give them that volume of opportunities to finally find a finishing touch. You know, if, if Colorado only has a few shots on target in this match, the white caps are probably going to fancy their chances to keep a clean sheet. So um, that's something to watch out for in terms of injuries and just lineup notes, Alessandro shop back at full training um, while Sergio Cordova 
is still doing individual drills. So I don't think Cordova is going to be any part of the picture for this upcoming weekend, but maybe next week we'll, we'll have to see. Um, and, and even shop, I, I wonder, you know, this might be a 30, 25 minute welcome back performance rather than a start, but uh, I don't know. They've, they've had lots of training sessions. So certainly anything is on the table there. Alex, uh, do we just want to dive into to lineups and predictions here? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we have much to, to note about the the Rapids. It's worth noting, I guess, really, they'll be tired. Um, at least more, a lot tired than the Whitecaps. Uh, the Rapids have played nine games so far. That means they haven't had a bye week yet. Uh, and they've played through the international break. So that means they've played every week. Plus, they played you know, at home, but still in midweek at the Open Cup. And a fair amount of starters saw the field. I mean, Abu Bakar started, Maxo played, um, you know, Max uh, also played, Yappy started, Lewis, you know, a lot of guys who you could expect to see. Um, certainly there's some options to rotate, like Barrios didn't start, Rosenberry didn't start, maybe Yarbrough, um, but they'll be certainly tired. So that's something to, to note because the Whitecaps haven't played in two weeks. Um, so will that rest, rest first, uh, you know, the whole, the whole debate, do you want to be rested? Do you want to be just rare and ready to go two days after we'll see, but, uh, yeah, should, it should be interesting. We can dive into to lineups and whatnot. Yeah. I'll just, I'll go straight into it. I mean, I think Yoitakoka in goal, nothing too controversial there. Um, I would anticipate I'm going to pencil in Javane Brown. Ranko Veselinovic and, and Tristan Blackman at the back. Now, as always, that that left back spot is a, a bit tricky. Let's let's say that Ryan Raposo gets a start. It's 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 been a while, and I'd like to see Raposo back in the fold. And if if Vanny's confident offensively, um, then I think he can handle the defensive duties against a uh, what Colorado has to offer here. So, and then the midfield, uh, I just have a feeling that Alessandro shop's not quite going to be ready to start just yet. So uh, Kubas in the holding mid spot, Gressel and Ahmed um, in that kind of, you know, dual role in front of him. And then pushing forward up the pitch, I'm going to keep manifesting it until it comes true, especially with the Dahomey trade, Ryan Gold, Pedro Vite, please make it happen. And then Brian White up front. That's that's what I'm going with. Uh, Alex, uh, curious for your thoughts. Pretty much it. Like I, I really like. Usually I have one tweak or not, but I'm just looking. I'm like, it's, it's like it's so straightforward. Like it's you look healthy. Taco can go the back four. I think you see Brown versus Laborda just because you probably want a little more offense from your fullbacks in this game. And I think Brown of the options is that. You go Veselinovic and Blackman, consistency, Raposo for the reason I mentioned the attack. Couldn't see Martins, but I don't know. I feel like a guy like Raposo would suit this game. So we'll see. The midfield three, yeah, I don't think Shop starts this game. Have, ease him in, like we mentioned in the last episode. Ease him in. The midfield three writes itself. Dahomey's gone, so can't expect to start from him. Like Maybe a v, maybe Gold Caicedo. Just because Caicedo played on the weekend versus Caps, also because because so Vanny Sartini, Vanny Sartini loves him some Daber Caicedo, so I, that wouldn't shock me at all. Or is it so much that he loves some Daber Caicedo, and in parentheses some Christian Dahomey, or is it that he just doesn't love as much the Gold Vite combo? That's also a question. So I'd, I'd say just put some Caicedo in 
as my loan potential change just because he played a lot on the last weekend. I, I don't know if he went full 90, but he almost did for caps too. And I think that's a huge milestone just to show that he's fit. He's, you know, his knees injuries fully behind him. He's been with the team for a couple months now. I think this could be a chance for that, you know, a good start uh, in this game. And uh, yeah, white leads the line. So pretty much similar other than the, maybe I'd love to see Vite, of course, but I just, I wonder if we see some Caicedo. No, absolutely. That's a good shout. Um, yeah, I, th- I think really, again, it's like that left back spot and then the one of the two attacking mid roles that are really in question. I mean, could always seem a Simon Betcher start, but I think after that last match, he's probably coming off the bench. Okay. Now in terms of score, I think, I don't know. I have a good feeling about this one. I think the white caps are, are due for a victory. I, I kind of felt that way on the road in Austin. It didn't happen. Uh, but I, I think that they're, you know, their XG um, record, they're, they're overall the way they're playing. It's going to, it's going to reflect in, in some home W's eventually. So I, you know, I, I do like some things about this Colorado team, but I still think that there's uh there's a work in progress going on there and the way the white caps have defended right now, I don't see them uh, finding their form in Vancouver. So I'm going to go a uh, very stereotypical score line, but I'm going to go one nil white caps victory. Oh, I thought when you said stereotypical, you're going to go two one. So that, that surprised me a bit, but yeah, I think white caps at home, they've done well. They've defended well in recent weeks. Um, playing a Colorado team that struggles to score white caps trying to feed in a while. I'm going to go two no white caps. I think it's something where, reasonably you look at the the numbers the the facts it's something where they should win this game and hopefully and you know if they want to prove that they could be a top team in the west win it comfortably and why not why not because you look at the way the standings have shaped up despite not playing a game the whitecaps held eight in the west which isn't great at first but then now you realize, thanks to this buy, they finally have a game in hand on half the teams around them, not all of them, but half, which is a nice start. And all of a sudden that means, for example, Dallas is in fourth with 14 points. The Whitecaps have a game in hand on them. Now they win this game in hand. They'd climb up to, you know, one point off fourth. And all that to say is that, you know, again, this like we mentioned last year, the Whitecaps, we said before heading into the year, they should be a top four team in the West. And again, this past weekend is not swayed me from that it's right now it looks to be seattle and la for now st louis is hanging up there so you can keep them in that mix but st louis or not there's still an opening in that top four it feels like a lot of the teams san jose surprised a lot of teams dallas is dallas even houston's surprise under ben olsen minnesota looks really good but even then there's still this huge pack so no better way to impose yourself and push towards that top four uh, than a win with with Colorado, a team that's below you and could pass you. They would pass you if they win. You do not want that given the the form they've been in. So this is a chance to to really push up. It's a very stereotypical thing to say, but you know, if if you want to be a top four team in the West, these are the kind of matches you win at home, right? Like certainly, I think you know, other than maybe a Seattle and LAFC, you know, St. Louis. If you're if you're buying what's going on there. Any other team in the West, you, you'd like to think that you can secure all three points at home on, you know, 65, 70, 80 percent of your matches. So um, if that's the Whitecaps team that that we think they're going to be, then then they're going to be able to convert this result, hopefully. So, uh, yeah. Any final 
Whitecaps first team thoughts here before we transition to the second half of the show. I think that that's all uh, we wrote for this one. I mean, again, well, we'll to be seen what happens in this game, but uh, without further ado, we'll get to, to the meat and potatoes, the fun stuff, the local footy, the grass roots game on the other side of this just quick interlude. We're back after a bit of a, a quick, very quick break uh, in, in, in both the real world and in the podcast world, for sure. Very quick. And let's just dive into it. Whitecaps FC2. They're doing all right for themselves. You, you could very well say that they're doing all right for themselves. Another big win over the weekend. Uh, 5-2 over Minnesota United at 2 not a bad way to to return a swan guard. Diber Caicedo played in that game, scored, got an assist, a brace for Levante Johnson, who's starting to heat up. Lots to like. And quietly, the Whitecaps just are in a good spot now. They've played five games in MLS Next Pro. Uh, they've won three outright. They beat Portland. They beat uh, North Texas. They beat Minnesota. They lost to Galaxy 2 in a very entertaining game at Swan Guard, a wet one. Uh, just back and forth, absolute chaos. And then they drew LAFC away, one on PK. So got the two points, of course, with the MLS Next Pro two point one point penalty kick rule, which honestly I don't hate. It's kind of kind of cool, I guess, to see something like that. As a result, that's to say, they now sit third in the Western Conference uh, with eleven points. Austin's in first with 14, but they've played an extra game. So the Whitecaps very much in the hunt at the top of the West and are overall top five in the league on in standings. So Sam, the kids are certainly all right for the Whitecaps, even though they're not fully kids. There's a few, you know, as Caleb, Caleb Wilkins jokes, there's, there's a few, few adults amongst boys over there for the Whitecaps too, but certainly the kids are all right. Right. Yeah. I mean, overall, I've been incredibly encouraged by this uh, WFC two team as they're now calling it. And yeah, I think I, I paid honestly less attention to the match this past weekend because you had a, a bunch of first team regulars in the squad. I think that, you know, okay, that's great that you're able to go out there and secure the W, but um, and, and results do matter at this level. You want to win in culture, but you know, I, I'm a little more hyped to see the likes of Coupland and Habibula ripping it up or even a Levante Johnson than I am to, see JC Ngondo and and Daber Caicedo scoring goals because I would certainly hope that those guys would be tearing it up at the MLS next pro level. Otherwise you kind of wonder why they're on first team contracts and you know um in the position they are. So that's not to take anything away, obviously. Um but I think that's something we've seen this season too at the MLS next pro level is that um at least for that league the the greater level of experience and kind of like the the longer professional resume is really at the the front end of the pitch and defensively in goal it's been a little more chaotic that LA Galaxy match being the perfect example where there were just some some kind of ridiculous looking goals of like a a goalkeeper clearance banking off a defender and uh just you know full like 
you know, fire drills at the back, which uh, is definitely something that I think if you're, um, if you're Ricardo Clark, you're the white caps coaching staff, you're, you're looking at everything that's gone on offensively and saying, brilliant, keep doing more of the same. And then maybe at the defensive end, it's like, all right, well, we're, we're scoring at such a rate that all we got to do is just fine tune things a little bit defensively. And we'll be, we'll be in an even better place. And I think that just comes from um, just a lot of youngsters with very little, very, very little pro experience at the back end of the pitch. And so, you know, Having someone like a Karifa Yao back there for a week is probably not a terrible idea. A guy with CPL experience um, and and someone with a you know little older, a little wiser. So uh, I, I think it's super encouraging, and I like how much that man. Every time we talk to Axel Schuster when he does his kind of weekly or semi uh, semi monthly hits with the with us local media, he's the first guy to bring up the next pro team and. He seems to take a lot of pride in the fact that he's been to pretty much every next pro match this season, including the ones on the road. Um, he, he's really buying into to the league and to the project and, and taking it seriously, which is something this organization's had a mixed relationship with. Like at times, uh, the second team was really thriving and then they kind of lost interest and, 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 you know, the league lost interest a little bit in general in the developmental system. And it's nice to see it coming back in force and, uh, and the white caps taking it so seriously because I, you know, I, I think the level of commitment from each organization around the league varies a little bit, but when you're one of the three Canadian MLS teams and there's such a value on your own domestic products, you know, those, those true Canadians uh, in your lineup. I think it's, it's just awesome to see some of the young guys coming through the system and having, you know, legitimate pro success, not just like, Oh, he scored a brace in some random exhibition match in Mexico in one of the five matches they played the entire season. Like this is a, this is a league you can actually watch and follow and keep stats for. And uh yeah, it's just, it's so much better. So uh, I'm super encouraged. And, uh, and again, yeah, just that culture at the second team level too. Um, the idea that, Hey, we're, we're not just a development team. We're, you know, one of the better MLS development teams out there. And we're going to, we're going to carry ourselves in that way. Can't, can't help, but just rub off on the first team, right? Like you've seen Ali Ahmed and Simon Betcher come in and act like they belong because they were used to dominating at the, at the next pro level. Yeah, and I think it is again, it's about beauty of having a league. It's little details. Something I think of, it's like these kids kind of have, well, not kids because they're pros, but they travel a lot too for a second team. Like they're having to do these long uh, plane trips to Minnesota's and LA's and Texas's away. This might be a small detail, but now they're used to the jarring realities of, of traveling in MLS when they head up to that next level. Um, even just, yeah, at the all those little details in terms of the calendar, et cetera. And yeah, lots to be excited about with the the second team, especially you look at this mix of guys they've been able to take a punt on and guys that have come up through the system. And yeah, you look at the back group in particular, like you got a guy like a Malcolm Johnson who you're able to swoop up, who's a first round draft pick, just let go because of international spot constraints at NYCFC. Uh, but then you got guys like Simone Massey and Lucas Dasevich and Finn Linder who've come up through your system. And, you know, guys like Linder, who's just like 19. You got Mihail 
Gerasimenkov. That's the name I'm going to have to get used to saying. He's 18. He was excellent at the MLS next level, not next pro, next level. Last year made their all-star game. He's just 18. I mentioned that. But again, then, yeah, you look across the picks. There's a mi- good mix of those guys, basically. There are guys like Kuplin, who arguably is making an early run to be the Caps 2 MVP, so to speak, just with how electric he's been. That's someone that... 19 you you just managed to pick up and swoop in and then make that that sort of move and i think it's huge to have these sorts of options because again I, we mentioned earlier at the very least mls next pro guys are showing they can be quality and competent depth when they make that step up to the next level so the fact that you're fostering an environment where a bunch of these guys and you know a lot of them young and canadian are getting these opportunities it's good to see that they're you know the they're doing this. And then when they take that step up, they, they'll have had that time to get adjusted at that next level. And, and you know, that, you know, you're not throwing them into the wolves. And then conversely, it's been nice to see some guys get opportunities. Like, yeah, maybe seeing like a JC and Gando down there was a bit weird. Diber Caicedo. Those are guys who certainly have, you know, Caicedo is a first teamer and even a guy like Ngando in his short time has shown well, but on the flip side, a guy like Yao is a center back harder to get minutes. Great to see him go and get that opportunity. You know, with even like an Isaac Bomer as a third keeper, it's hard sometimes on a roster. You're just kind of there, but you have to be there, but you're not really playing. So the fact that he was able to get down and get some minutes again, that's, that's what the, the next level is all about. And I think we're seeing the benefits in, in many ways. And it's good to see that the white caps are good Shout out to Rico Clark because he's got them, you know, buzzing. And hopefully the defensive side of what Clark knows can can really embed in. Because given how young their defenders are, we've already seen Christian Companion make that step up to the CPL level and really become a leader for Halifax. Uh, hopefully some of these other guys, you know, as well, like Mateo Companion, some of these other ones can can really take a big step and become potential first teamers. Yeah, absolutely. Just to kind of tee up what's going on over the next little bit for the second team, they're playing against St. Louis City 2 on the 30th. So that's this upcoming weekend in in St. Louis. And then they'll be back at Swan Guard on the, what is this? This is the 8th of May. Just want to make sure I get that correct. Um, against Houston Dynamo, it's, it's Sunday, May seventh. It's the same. It's oh, the same day, unfortunately, you know, as the well, Vancouver FC opener. But it, this is the issue: is Sunday. you know, classic, classic UK problems. It's showing as two a.m. on the eighth, so it's actually at six Pacific, I believe, on the on the seventh. So I'm gonna have to watch yes. out for that. And then following, they're away at Timbers, but then home against Tacoma Defiance. This is as the month of May goes on. So, uh, yeah, just watch out for those matches upcoming, especially the the two home fixtures. The first, um, as you said, on the seventh at Swan Guard, and then on the twenty first against Tacoma Defiance, also at Swan Guard. So, yeah, check out those matches. Uh, hopefully, the the Baby Caps will continue their positive next pro play, and um, you know, maybe with that roster spot available, I don't know if. Uh, a first team contract is on offer at some point the rest of the season, but uh, certainly, you know, looking forward to 2024, I think there's going to be a, a couple more graduates if things keep going the way they're going at the moment. Yeah. And honestly, if some of this keeps up. I want to see some of these guys play against York in the can champ play. If you win that game, play in the next round. Like if Levante Johnson's killing it, give him a, give him a call up to the first team and give them 20, 30 off the bench against York in the can champs. You need Canadians. That's one thing the white caps have to remember. You need to start at least three Canadians 
Um, I mean, between Hassal and, and Raposo and Ahmed, that shouldn't be an issue. But still get more on. Screw it. Screw it. You know, get some more Canadians involved. Uh, so, yeah, give a Johnson opportunity. Heck, give Kuplin a call because he's been electric. And, you know, Habibula, all these guys we could go through. So hopefully we can see some of them get the, these opportunities. Certainly knowing the Whitecaps history with injuries, some of them will come sooner rather than later. You got League's Cup as well and all that. That will congest the schedule. But, yeah, hope long may the second team success continue. Hopefully they can push to the playoffs and along the way help the first team, team out whenever uh, applicable. Well, you you mentioned York United, Alex, so we'll have to dive into it. I mean, first of all, Vancouver FC with their first win in CPL play, uh, their first win as a franchise in, in non-exhibition play, um, and in a sea of 1-1 draws on the, on the second weekend of the Canadian Premier League, Vancouver FC is able to find three points, and, and now, weirdly enough, they find themselves third in the table. Uh, your thoughts, I guess, on on the inaugural win and just sort of, uh, yeah, maybe maybe a word on the state of the CPL after after the second week. It's a weird one where Valor, who, you know, embarrassed themselves in the Canadian championship and Vancouver FC that has, you know, it was off to a bit of a scruffy start. They've already been bounced out of the Canadian championship. They're two of the three teams at the top of the table at the moment. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I guess congratulations to Vancouver. They deserved that game. They were organized. They were disciplined. They took their chances, even if, you know, maybe it took a bit of luck, a bit of fortune. They took their chances and held on some great performances across the board. I mean, Cal Irving just looks so solid in goal. That back three, which was what it became of uh, Ibrahim Bakare, Rocco Romeo, and Eugene Pele Martinez were all so solid at the back. You know, I think guys like Elliot Simmons, you know, they, they really stepped up in in midfield. And then, yeah, Sean Hundle and Gabriel Batar. I mean, Batar in particular was my player of the week, just how electric he was in the final third. And it's something where, yeah, it's, you know, against a York team that's struggling, but, and that has a lot of injuries and a lot off the field. But so a win on the road to get your goals, it's always an amazing accomplishment. And, Sets the table nicely now that they're going to head back to Vancouver, no matter what happens this week against Halifax with points in your pocket. And that's something that's huge where, again, you play your first three road games at home. The fact that you average technically a point per game at the very minimum on the road, no matter what happens against Halifax, you take that and then you can head home. Maybe you grab a win or something, get the confidence flowing. Uh, All of a sudden that can help just Ashin Gottby and his charges continue to find chemistry, find that growth. So credit to that. And, yeah, I just love that with that win and that draw central in CPL it vaults them up to third already. Um, but I feel like the draw thing is is both the good and the bad because it's bad if you wanna you wanna watch for goals, you wanna watch for some of that. But I think it's also good because it's something I feel like it feels like the league has evolved a lot tactically this year. Just watching, I feel like it's something where you know year one it was really just Forge and, and, and Cavalry. You know, Smirniotis, Wilton Junior. They're kind of almost bamboozling teams with some of these tactics they were putting out. And then Pamadouka came in with Pacific and they kind of joined that group. And then Carlos Gonzalez joined it with Ottawa and, you know, Phil, Phil DeSantos with Valor. He's always been attacked, you know, him and his brother, always tacticians. You could debate the success of those tactics at the Whitecaps, but there's no doubt they've been tacticians. You look now too. Yeah. Vancouver FC, Afshin Gopi looking like he can be quite the, the tactical mind and, 
you, you know, Patrice Geyser, his tactics might be the most fascinating of all in CPL with Halifax. They play some fun footy. Uh, yeah, you know, and Martin Nash comes from that Wilden Junior system. All of a sudden, you're looking at eight coaches, certainly, you know, guys at the top that can lead to these sort of tactical battles as they know the other, they know how to stop it, they know how to figure it out. And I think that's fun because as the year goes along, we're really going to see some creative things tried if this continues. And I think it's something where now it's going to start a bit slow, like a chess match. You know, in the chess match, you're moving your pawns, you're moving your knights, you're not really doing much. But then all of a sudden, one move happens and everything opens up. I feel like that that's what's going to happen. And I think it's good. It's good to have the overall tactical, tactical evolution of the league grow like this. That's a, that's a very interesting way of putting it. I just, I guess I hope from a kind of neutral third party perspective that um, as, you know, some bigger pieces on the board start to get moved around, that we see this same level of uh, parity and competitiveness, right? Because, um, you know, maybe, maybe as the bigger pieces get moved, that'll expose some holes in teams and the margins will become bigger. But the, the ideal scenario, right, is that these matches maybe, you know, end in a three, two instead of a one, one, but you have the same level of tight competitive play. Um, so, uh, very interested to see, you know, really, uh, in terms of CPL performance only disregarding the Canadian championship, other than New York United, everyone's kind of off to a decent start and has to be feeling okay about the way they played through two matches. Right. And the, as you said, you know, you look at like a Wanderers team down in sixth or forge in fifth and, you kind of go, oh, there's, you know, those are good teams that have done some interesting tactical things and no reason to think they can't, uh, you know, push much further up the table as the season goes on. So it's going to be very interesting to follow. Uh, I think from a, from a Vancouver FC perspective, you look at the next two weekends and that's like bangers only because they get to be part of the Wanderers home opener and then they get their own home mm-hmm. opener back-to-back weekends. Maybe not the best in terms of travel, but uh, certainly awesome, two awesome matches, I think, to take in uh, midday, midday for the Wanderers. And then, uh, yeah, a good, a good uh, mid-afternoon or early evening fixture for, for Vancouver FC at home. Uh, looks like the stadium's coming along well. Uh, actually looks, looks really nice for a temporary venue and uh, going to be really interested to see what the environment is like there. Uh, yeah, what kind of what kind of feeling, you know, are they able to create? What kind of distinct identity are they able to carve out? Um, I know just hearing from people within that organization how how important creating that club culture is uh, to to the people kind of running the show. So uh, how much are we going to feel that on opening day? I think is going to be really, really, really curious. And And what kind of people show up, you know? Like, is it, is this a bunch of Whitecaps fans from central Vancouver? Is this a lot of young families from the Valley? Like what, who does this team really appeal to? I think you only, you only find that out when you actually host matches at home. So uh, yeah, uh, man, I can't wait. I'm getting myself hyped for those next two matches. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to be, it's going to be good. And yeah, hopefully just as a, as a league, we see some, some more goals, you know, just, you know, across the board, we, of course, you always want goals, but yeah, we'll we'll see how the the year ends up going. Interesting start certainly uh, in that regard, but not all not all, all is great, I guess. Not all is roses, so to speak. Of course, there's the York United ownership situation um, that came out this week. Obviously, a bit rough as York had some tough attendances to start the year. So you compound that with this, their struggles on the field, not ideal. 
you know, I think it's something where it's not all doom and gloom. I think there's a few sides, I guess. There's a side, of course, you don't want to see a team come out and already be for sale and you see the struggling attendance and all that. At the same time, it is, I guess, positive to see a situation like this happening now. It's not, say, like an FC Edmonton where it just felt like by the time everything came out, the club was already dead. Like It was just like something where it was like almost just dragging it along and waiting it for it to end, whereas it feels like with York, there's still some potential for a revival or resurrection that just needs to be you know lots that needs to happen and you know the fact that they're 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 selling it now where the club has still got you know a good group of players a lot of staff etc it's not like Edmonton where the the team was stripped down and then that's where you're, you're selling it so it's one of those where tough situations certainly for the league you never want to see a team uh you know get pushed to the brink, so to speak, or, you know, it doesn't even feel right to say push to the brink, but certainly get put to sale for sale. But also it's something where, you know, in a young league, sometimes uh, these are the tough decisions that, uh, that need to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll echo the fact it's, it's never something you want to see. And uh, I mean, this is not a discussion we need to have right now, but something I think about immediately, like I thought about with Edmonton um, and, and now I think about with York is, uh, the potential for um, and, and you know the it, it seems likely to happen this this women's league that's going to come in and if if teams in the CPL are struggling I you know I want the 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 ecosystem in Canada to be able to support all these domestic league teams but it's worrisome when you see the Eddies drop out and then now York United is, is struggling so. Um, you know, hopefully the the soccer ecosystem in Canada is in a place um, when the women's league comes to fruition that they're really able to support these teams. I think a really valuable takeaway is just that, you know, you look at York and Edmonton and those are probably the two clubs that have struggled the, struggled the most to identify with a kind of unique, distinct fan base. Like it felt like with Edmonton, they just never really developed much of an identity and um, you know, they obviously have, they had a great history in Edmonton, but uh, didn't really seem to pick out exactly what they were as a CPL team. And then obviously York, I think you're in a, a Toronto market where uh, kind of like a Vancouver, you know, carving out um, a space for yourself, getting people's eyeballs off other entertainment products can be a bit of a challenge the venue also plays a bit of a factor, right? Like you're, um, you're kind of in a difficult place to get to in Toronto. It's on a university campus. It's not a, a purpose-built little venue. It's just uh, these are these are challenges and limitations that any expansion team coming into the CPL, any new sports franchise, uh, soccer otherwise in Canada is going to have to take a look at and think about and see how they can improve. And then obviously from York United standpoint, like if and when new owners come in, it's something those owners are going to have to consider as well, right? Like what, what hasn't worked? Um, what, what can we do that's going to make a difference and, and then look at teams that have had success in the CPL and what have they managed to do? Because, you know, I think everyone in this country, certainly us, we want to get the sport to a level where uh, these clubs just, and the product kind of sells itself, right? Like it would be great if it's, oh, it's Canadian Premier League soccer and everyone just comes down on a Friday or Saturday night. But at this point in the development, I think you still need you still need to offer something a bit unique, a bit interesting, just to kind of spark that initial interest. 
Uh, you can't just rely on the product to sell itself. And, you know, I think, you know, so teams like Halifax, they're in a great location and they seem to really identify with the local community. That works. Uh, team like Forge, you just have a heck of a lot of success right off the bat. That really works. Um, Cavalry, you have a great, unique venue. You have a pretty successful team. You have a very, you know, popular, kind of well-regarded uh, front-facing manager. That helps. Pacific's identified with community, built a real identity. Um, there's and and had some success. So there's all these examples of ways it can work, and it's just about. Uh, unfortunately, I think these are part of the growing pains, right? Of developing the sport in Canada is you're going to have success stories and you're going to have failures and, and you're just going to, we're going to collectively learn from these experiences. And hopefully most of these, hopefully unlike Edmonton, a club like York United can come out the other side, new and improved rather than uh, disappearing off into the distance. Yeah. And I think they also provide good lessons of what to watch for when the next teams come in and, I think that can be applied, I guess, across the board. Because I think what's in interest about Edmonton and York is that they're in two historically pretty big Canadian soccer markets. Like Edmonton, since the 90s, they've supported the national team relatively well. The Eddies were around for a while. They had their struggles for a while, but they've been around. You look at York, I mean, Toronto, huge soccer market. You just look at League One Ontario, the GTA, all the soccer factory that there is, let alone the history. Um, but you know, it shows that when it comes to being in these big cities, you have to offer something. And I think what's key is you, you almost have to look at like Ottawa, Calgary, because those are pretty big cities. Like those aren't small cities. But what you notice about like Calgary is that cavalry is present. Like, they, you know, they you just you go in the city and it feels like there's a bit of a cavalry, uh, you know, presence kind of with the flames of the Sam Peters. Like it doesn't feel like they're just an afterthought. In the same way you look at Edmonton, it was just kind of like it's the Oilers and even like the Elks have to deal with that. It's kind of just like Oilers and then what else, right? It's because like the market share there so concentrated. And you look at, I think Ottawa is a perfect example because there, the presence is there. It's stadium location helps. It's right downtown, but the, the Ottawa is on local radio a lot. They have radio deals set up. They have advertising. And it's just little things like that when, when you're in a big city, it's not like when you're playing in a on Vancouver Island in North Langford. Like what what is there in Langford? You know, in terms of sports, things like a new professional soccer team popping up, one that sometimes beats or they they beat the White Caps. All they want a title, like that sort of stuff. It's like oh, you hear about our local team? Like that's how these communities work. You know, even a city like Halifax, which isn't small but isn't huge, they're like oh, this little soccer team of ours are kind of first pro team along with the the lacrosse team like they're like okay come watch this it's something to, to be about whereas you're in a town like in ottawa you have market share you're going up against senators red blacks junior hockey uh etc etc et so it just shows that you know as much it's as much as its presence it's branding it's stadium uh it's, it's little details like that it's also just identifying with a community and running with it by going york nine off the start and wanting to include all the York region, but then by year three, you're already going York United. You're not maybe identifying with that same region anymore. And you've, you know, you know, alienate a couple, there's a lot of local fans. You don't really tap into, you maybe, you know, tickle some people the wrong way, but then it's hard to, to build from that. So hopefully with this, they take a lot of those things, take them to heart and find a way to, to capitalize. I think 
it's something where you look in the GTA, there's a lot of soccer potential. Of course, you see, oh, of course, Toronto FC, they have all the stars, but League One Ontario teams, they do some of them do well for themselves. And like you got to look at what's going on there. And maybe it's just means moving to a town like Mississauga, embracing being called Mississauga and just accept it, or it's just taking what you have and, and maybe, uh, you know, rejigging some things. But hopefully they can find a solution because I think it would be good to have a team in the GTA and, you know, because the I mean, at the very least it's the most dense population area in Canada whether or not we like it it's you know 15 whatever million it is in that that GTA horseshoe or whatever that that's just market share that the rest of the country can't keep up so it would help to have one two three four good successful teams in that region yeah i think i definitely you know as as an armchair um league owner for a or a team owner for a day, I I would think, you know, you target, whether it's a Mississauga or somewhere else in the GTA, you you target one of those communities specifically, and then you kind of go all in on, you know, being, yeah, we're from Toronto, but we're from X, X borough, X neighborhood, X, um, you know, kind of suburban spot and, and really fully embrace it. And uh, yeah, it just seemed like, York nine, York United, they've always been caught in between minds as we're kind of, we're for Toronto, but we're also have the specific York identity. And then it just never really, I don't know if it, the York community really bought in or the general Toronto community really bought in. They, they seemed a little caught in between. So um, very curious to see, I mean, how the rest of the season goes um, in terms of that ownership situation and then what the club is going to look like moving forward. But uh on to some more positive soccer news, Alex. And in our home province, League One BC kicking up this weekend. I mentioned it off the top. Obviously, TSS Rovers stealing headlines in the Canadian Championship, bringing a lot of attention uh, to the league. And now we get to see, um, as you mentioned to me pre-show, Alex, the, the top two teams from last season matching up against each other on the very first weekend and it's it's just great to see that um league one bc is back for a for a second season in its current form and uh just going to be you know i think improved in terms of the quality of football and improved in terms of the notoriety of the league the coverage um all this stuff it's it's going to be really really fun and we just uh as you mentioned off the top you kind of want uh the schedule to all work out so you can uh take in as many of these matches as possible without having uh conflicts between CPL league one, BC MLS next pro uh, MLS. It's uh it's a lot to take in, but yeah, why don't you run us through a little bit? Some of the stuff you're, you're looking out for on opening weekend. Yeah. The, the schedule's got me dizzy. That's for sure. I'm just looking on one. Like, for example, if you may 7th, if you're, if you're a local soccer fan in, uh, in BC, you got what there's two league one, one BC games in the lower mainland. There's a Vancouver FC home opener. There's a Whitecaps FC two game. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Whitecaps also play at home in MLS that week. It's going to be ridiculous. Like it, it's it's going to be absurd. For all we know, Pacific plays plays at home, and it's just going to be an absolute. Um, they do not play at home, but a few days later, there's the Can Champ Derby between them and the Rovers. So, anyways, as for League One BC, lots to look forward to. New team. In the league, Harborside FC of Nanaimo. Great logo. Great kits, by the way. They dropped a lot of great kits um, in the league. So Harborside's new. For some of you might be seeing it. Not some watch FC. 
might be a bit confused by what that is. That is formerly known as Varsity FC, the team that was you know playing based out of UBC, a lot of UBC players. Uh, they partnered with Hope and Health and rebranded to Not Some Watt, which is a great initiative. They've got some local Indigenous players signed to the, the team. They've been really uh, doing a lot of work, a lot of camps. They have the best logo in the league uh, designed, uh, you know, by Mr. Maynard Jr., that who who, who designed the Pacific uh, FC famed alternate kit. He also did some pretty nice kits for Not Some Watt. If not, the rest of the teams are back. It's Rovers over in Burnaby. It's Unity over in Langley. Whitecaps uh, up at UBC as well. You got the Highlanders over in Victoria, but now they have an island rival. And you got Rivers all the way up in Kamloops, and you got Altitude in North Van. Uh, and this opening weekend, some good games to start. Rovers host not somewhat in a rematch of the men's final, and certainly the you know both both teams' women's outfits are very good as well. So that should be a both game on both fronts, especially the crowd at Swangard. Maybe those cap- capture their attention of the Rovers after their run. So maybe they're going to want to check out what the Rovers are about in league play, especially with the big uh, cup game coming up. Then you got Harborside hosting their first ever game against Unity. That should be fun because Unity maybe underperformed a bit last year and a chance to play the new side, uh, a chance for them to get off to a strong start. But meanwhile, Harborside wanted to prove what they're all about. And then Whitecaps host Highlanders. That should be a good one because the Whitecaps women's team was fantastic last year. They ended up winning the league. They, they were super young. A lot of those players played U17 or playing U20 women's internationals, some future pro players in there, a hundred thousand percent future national team players, forget future pro players. That's an easy take. Um, and then also the men's team, some interesting players. Like it looks like someone like a Jeevan Bodwal uh, who played Canada U17 has got second team and it's could be a real leader on that, that, that white caps league one BC team. And there's a few other intriguing prospects like him. Uh, and then the Highlanders, uh, very historic, very, known outfit there they're going to want to rebound as they didn't do as great as they would have liked in year one and then lastly you got rivers uh hosting altitude and that's worth noting because rivers won the national or, or sorry the camp thompson river men won the national championship in U sports because they were hosting and they ended up winning so that's a strong core of players on the men's side for them to rely on uh and, and the women's side as well that you know they finished the the season uh, strong, so they'll want to build off that. And Altitude's the fascinating one because they've been making some good signings. They played Vancouver FC and drew them in preseason. Uh, they finished the year very strong on the men's side as well as on the women's side. They feel like a team that, for them, it's just it was too much too soon off the start. And once they clicked, they were a fun team to watch. So that that you know that's a team to to, to keep an eye on. And overall, that's just a fun opening slate of of games. Yeah, what a what a fantastic rundown of all the teams and and for me Alex Altitude is maybe like the one team outside of TSS that can fight for that crown in terms of most aesthetic pitch to play on. Those are mm-hmm. those are two tremendous tremendous venues. Jealous that uh I'm not going to be in BC for opening weekend cuz that's definitely something I I would love to check in on. So uh looking forward to that and uh and I believe there should be, there'll be some form of streaming for, I think it's, what is it? One match a week. So for those not in, in the local area, not able to be there in person, obviously if you're able to go out to any of these matches and uh, support some local soccer, we would absolutely encourage you to do that. But there, there is some, some limited streaming available as well. If you want to check in from a distance. So uh, yeah, encourage you to, to check that out. And we'll certainly be providing some updates 
uh, whether it's on the podcast, also in written form on the third sub.ca, uh, just kind of running down what's going on in League One BC or maybe telling some some interesting stories of players and teams on the roster. So stay tuned for that. Yeah, sure. We're going to keep an eye on as much as possible. Certainly a few people on the third sub.ca as well. Yeah, myself. I mean, I'm going to try my best. I'm looking at the schedule and I'm like, it's going to be hectic. It's going to be hectic, but certainly going to try our best to to, to get out to, to games whenever there's a gap in the schedule, whenever there's a moment to pop by and check. So there's just some great talent already. And we saw last year what the league was able to do in the men's and women's sides where some of those players ended up League One BC now becoming the first ever League One team to win uh, a pro, against a pro team in the can champ, despite being the, the league that's existed the shortest. It just shows there's talent in this province and it just needs opportunities. So great to, to see this avenue being provided. And I can't wait to dive in. Yeah, absolutely. We're really looking forward to it. So Alex, any, uh, any final thoughts here? That's kind of a pretty comprehensive rundown of uh, really what's going on in BC over the past week, this upcoming weekend. Uh, we're really looking forward to, uh, you know, obviously the Whitecaps back in action, but just also this is now kind of the full slate and the full rotation of everything this province has to offer in terms of soccer for the upcoming summer. So uh, cannot wait to get into it. Um, I'll just give a quick shout out um, to uh, um, our socials, which probably by the time this goes up, um, certainly in terms of the A6 Forever Twitter, we're going to be changing it to the third sub. Um, so just watch out for that as we, you know, continue to kind of streamline the content and, uh, yeah, hope everyone's been enjoying the, the stuff on the new site so far. And I would also just add, you know, as I said, kind of when we made the website changes, if you, if you have feedback, if you have input, uh, things you'd like to see more of things you'd like to see less of whatever, uh, we want this to be collaborative. So, uh, have your say, uh, whether it's, you know, send us a Twitter message, provide a comment on the website, uh, review the podcast. We probably don't plug that enough. Uh, you know, subscribe, review, rate, all that good stuff. Um, you can find me as always at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at the third sub.ca. And as I mentioned, just stay tuned because, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do some posts, but some of those social tags are going to be changing here prior to the, the upcoming Whitecaps match. So check that out. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Much appreciated update there from uh, Sam. I guess on my own end, find me on Twitter, Alex Gongeruzic. Um, and of course, on the third sub handles when those are up. And I guess, yeah, just to add to the site, we're continuing to tweak. We're continuing to work on little stuff that, you know, that ends up being in quite cumbersome when you're working on a website, you know, little things like how do you index your site how do you get you know how do you get found on google all that good stuff so you know of course as we go through that for the most part it's been relatively seamless sometimes there's hiccups sometimes there's going pain so if there's ever any issues that you, you notice on the site yeah feel free to, to give us a shout or bear with us as we we work through them very you know most likely if there's any any sort of hiccups it's just the the reality of, of going through a cumbersome process like this, but it has, it has been very worth it. I think the site is is looking quite great and just great to see all the contributions. Great to see everyone popping up in the comments. Love reading, uh, you know, the articles, the comments, all that good stuff. So super hype with that. And this podcast is certainly going nowhere for now. So we'll be back for episode 165 
sooner rather than later. Certainly, we'll have a lot to talk about CPL, MLS. Sure, some some next pro, some league, some League One BC results to talk about. So, looking forward to that, and we'll catch you again very soon.